Welcome back to the Backseat Coach Podcast, Episode 7, and we are here after a wild week two of college football. I thought the slate going into it, I mentioned on last week's podcast, I didn't think the slate was going to be that great. We didn't have that many ranked matchups, none of the upset alerts seemed to intrigue me too much, but boy was I wrong, and we are Marshall. But we also just had an up and down first week of the NFL season, it still is yet to wrap up, in about 45 minutes of my time, the Broncos and Seahawks are going to be kicking off. So not going to really talk about that game too much, except maybe the beginning of it if it starts happening while I'm recording this podcast. But just know Monday Night Football in my world has not occurred yet, so hopefully no crazy groundbreaking news happens. I expect the Seahawks to win without too much resistance. But anyways, we're going to get into that this packed episode recapping that wild week two of college football as well as introducing the NFL season. But first, just want to mention the sponsors. You can find them below in the description at any time throughout this. Thank you for sponsoring this video, Thrive Fantasy prize picks, and chalkboard. We'll talk a lot more about those later. But we're actually going to start with the NFL this week because while college football sure was crazy this week, the NFL is officially back. It had its first kickoff season. We started with the Rams and Bills on Thursday night, which was a thwomping by the Rams. Psych. The Bills. But we're going to get into the full NFL slate. We're going to go game by game, just giving you my quick thoughts on each game. But again, if you're more of a college football fan, I have timestamps in the description down below, no matter where you're watching this on. So... Go down to the timestamps and be like, you know what, I'm skipping right ahead to the college football. You go right ahead. But for those of you who want to talk NFL, let's jump into it. And let's start with that Bills-Rams game because it was it was a head-scratcher to say the least. I mean, last week I did say I thought the Bills would win. Uh, I'm not going to toot my own horn and say that I think the Bills thought the Bills were going to win by 21. But that was, that was quite the game. Things that we saw coming that happened were Josh Allen looked like he could be an MVP this season. We all saw that coming, coming into the season. And he delivered. Another thing we saw coming is that Cooper Cup is one of the best wide receivers in the league. Spoiler alert. 13 receptions, 128 yards, and a touchdown. Everything fine and dandy from that aspect. Also another thing, which I don't want to downplay the Bills because they did so well, but I saw it coming that Josh Allen, once again, is going to be the best running back for the Bills this season. Led the team in rushing. 10 carries, 56 yards, and a touchdown. Even though this whole offseason, they worked on, you know, they drafted James Cook. And the coaches have said, we're going to limit Josh Allen's rushing because we don't want him injured. Franchise quarterback, MVP-type season, we want him throwing the ball, not running it. Well, A, he puts the team on his back when plays break down. That's been shown time and time again. And B, that rushing attack still did not look great. Surprisingly, the player that everyone I feel like unnecessarily hates on the most, Devin Singletary, looked the best by far. Zach Moss didn't cut it. James Cook didn't cut it. Actually, both of them even fumbled. So those are the expected things we saw. Bills still don't got a rushing game. Josh Allen... Looks like he's ready for an MVP year. Cooper Cup, still that dude in case you were wondering. What we didn't really expect to see is that a lot of people had very high expectations for Allen Robinson coming into this season. They said he he obviously went to the Bears from the Jaguars with a ton of hype, didn't live up to expectations. People said, you know what, you know, Matt Nagy's offense, his schemes are just really not conducive to Allen Robinson. There's not a true wide receiver one capable of breaking out in Chicago with that archaic offense. The quarterback talent wasn't there either, and this is you know the pundit talking, not me. I, I, I mean, you can say the same thing about Justin Fields, although he looked pretty good in that rain fest, but we'll talk about that later. So now he goes to L.A. where we see Cooper Cup put up massive numbers. You know, Odell Beckham even had a resurgence in his up-and-down career. Robert Woods is putting up crazy numbers. Brandon Cooks did great in his time in L.A., and now Allen Robinson's going to go there and hopefully see the numbers that we know his talent is capable of producing. But we just did not see it. I've, I, I'm not going to break down the film because I've seen plenty of other people already do it, but he, he didn't look very convincing on his routes he was running. I think it was like 50% or over 50% of his routes were just small hitches, so he wasn't really running any 
deep patterns like posts or drags or anything that you see Cooper Cup doing that gets the ball thrown downfield. Definitely not a uh, Brandon Cooks type player that he was in his time in LA, where he's he's spreading the spreading the defense, going deep, lining up in the slot, being versatile. It seemed like Allen Robinson just had a very minimized playbook for him. I don't know if that's based on what Sean McVay's seeing in terms of not wanting to put him in those number one and number two route trees, or if that's just truly that he's still new to the team and developing. But anyways, that's something to note is that Allen Robinson not having the breakout season yet. We're expecting to see, but hey, it's week one. But maybe more concerning is Cam Akers, who everyone thought was going to have a great season. A lot of people in fantasy football were high on him, but he didn't do anything. Absolutely nothing. He was not rarely on the field almost never touched the ball, needed absolutely nothing. And, and it's pretty obvious to see why when you break down the film. He can't pass protect. He can't pass protect for his life. And this is what's wrong with people that only focus on fantasy football. They're the same people that in Dallas are saying, Tony Pollard's way better than Zeke. He should be starting. No. And if he's not Sunday Night Football, you should know that. Tony Pollard can't block. Ezekiel Elliott is one of the most physical and best blocking backs in the entire NFL. And he actually ran the ball great last night, so I'm not just going to say Zeke is only a passing back in terms of pass protection. But NFL is not fantasy football. NFL is real football. And when you're dropping back to pass and you're your running back staying in there for pass protection, you need a guy you can trust. Cam Akers is not that. He's getting blown up on his, on his pass blocking, which is why they're turning to their backups and just deciding, you know what, if you're not going to pass block effectively, you're not getting the rock. It's the complete opposite of what we see with Zeke Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott's sermon saying, oh, he's looking slow. Tony Pollard might be more dynamic. He's a better pass catcher. And that all may be true. But Ezekiel Elliott playing and play out as someone that the Cowboys, and I was going to say Dak, but I guess Cooper Rush now or Ben DiNucci or whoever, can trust to block. And that's why he's getting the rock. And that's what we're not seeing with Cam Akers. I don't know if we're going to see it going forward. But he was coming off an Achilles injury, so maybe he was being limited because of that. But really, it didn't look like it. It looked mostly because of his performance on the field was causing him, the Rams to not hand the ball to him. And, of course, you could say they were down and they weren't going to be able to run it too much. But it was 10-10 a half. This game wasn't over at the beginning, the Bills winning, and the Rams weren't playing catch-up this whole time. So definitely concerning for Cam Akers now in Robinson's production. A lot of people had concerns also about Matthew Stafford's shoulder coming into the season. And... We weren't shown anything to think that his shoulder's fine and dandy. I mean, he did not look that efficient in his throws. Cooper Cup went off, but that's Cooper Cup. I feel like you plug and play him with almost any quarterback at this point. He's so gifted at route running. His hands are so true. But the biggest problem to me is the Rams' offensive line, who got absolutely bullied by the Bills. Absolutely bullied. The Rams' offensive line is aging quite a lot. And the Bills never blitzed, and they got eight sacks. I'm going to repeat that. The Bills never blitzed and got eight sacks. That is just, that's just insane. Those are crazy numbers. And now I'm at, it's so crazy I'm even second-guessing it at this point. I'm going to check. Sacks. Seven. Okay, sorry. They had seven sacks. Sorry. But seven tackles for losses as well. The Bills were in the backfield all night long, which is just, it was a dominant display, to say the least. Bills' defense looked fast. They looked like they knew what the Rams were doing before they were doing it. Their pass coverage was solid. And, I mean, hey, they forced three interceptions in Matthew Stafford. I wouldn't say they're all his fault. But Matthew Stafford, 29 for 41, QBR of 63, seven sacks for 49 yards lost. Just absolutely crazy numbers coming out of the opening game. The Rams 
we'll leave it there, but you you laid a stinker to open up the season. There's no other way to put it. But Bills looking great. A lot of people have them as the Super Bowl favorites this season, and you can see why. They looked absolutely great in their first game. But then Sunday happened, and yeah, things were weird, to say the least, on Sunday. So let's get into the noon games. Starting with the Saints and the Falcons, that game, you know, near and dear to my heart because Saints are my favorite team. What a comeback. The largest comeback in Saints history in the fourth quarter. That's just that's just so tried and true to what the Falcons do. And it was in Atlanta as well, which is just adds fuel to the fire. But the Saints looked absolutely discombobulated in the first half. There's no other way to put it. Atlanta got up early. At halftime, it was 16-7. to And even in the third quarter, Atlanta looked stronger. Jameis Winston got banged up a bit. But then really what broke out is because even Alvin Kamara wasn't running the ball that great. But then Taysom Hill, the Swiss Army Knife, Four carries, 81 yards, and a touchdown, as well as one catch for two yards. But he's listed as a tight end in fantasy football formats this season, so expect someone to spend big on his fantasy value for their auction or or for their free agent auction bucks or if they have waiver priority that Taysom Hill will be going. Mind you, trust me, if you want him, you're going to have to spend for him because he's listed as a tight end, and it looks like he's going to be once again that Swiss Army knife that we know and love from Taysom Hill. That's just going to be a fantasy production monster. If you know, you know. But shut up, ads. ESPN is so riddled with ads, it's unbelievable. But uh, continuing on, Jameis Winston, 23 for 34. Two touchdowns. QBR of 111. And who are those two touchdowns to? Oh, yeah, Michael Thomas. Might have heard of him. He's back. Five catches, 57 yards. He was silent in the first half. Then he went off in the second half, looked as dynamic as ever. But that whole passing core, you have Jarvis Landry, seven catches for 114 yards. Even the rookie Chris Olave, 3 for 41, including a 20-yard bomb. So three targets, three catches for the rookie, eight targets for Michael Thomas, nine targets for Jarvis Landry, Jameis Winston spreading the ball around. They looked good. They looked like they – and speaking of rookies, Drake London also, great, great debut for him as well, five catches for 74 yards. One interesting regression I think a lot of people are expecting, including myself, is people thought Cordell Patterson had a fluke season last year. And I mean, can you blame him? He's been in the league for so long and hasn't done much. But he had 22 carries, which, before we even get into the yardages and the touchdowns, 22 carries should say a lot because they're still trusting him to tote the rock more than anyone. A lot of people are thinking he's going to lose to maybe like Tyler Algier or some other running backs, Damian Williams. But no, it's a Cordero Patterson show. But Marcus Mariota actually ran for 12 yards or 12 carries as well. So dynamic Marcus Mariota is back as well. So it's a resurgence for Mariota and Patterson right now. But 22 carries, 120 yards, and a touchdown for Cordero Patterson. But ultimately... The Saints pulled it off. The Falcons did Falcons things. A final field goal for a chance to win at 60 yards for Young Wake, who was blocked by the Saints. Hit a clutch kick from Will Lutz to win the game prior to that. And I'm very happy. I love seeing that comeback. Not the game I expect from them whatsoever, but they got the job done. One thing I do want to shout out is last year, because backseat coach is me, obviously, but I have a whole host of podcasts that I used to produce, and one of them was our called Out of Our League. And they interviewed Pete Werner, and he led the game in tackles, 13 tackles, one tackle for loss, 12 solo tackles, Pete Werner. So he's a tackle monster. Look for him in the de- in the leaderboards throughout the season, seeing if he possibly can get you know, close to that league lead in tackles. But we'll move on from this game. Saints got the big win there. Let's move on to the flood game, Bears versus 49ers. And, yeah, that game looked absolutely crazy to be at. It was literally a flood. Like The fans were completely soaked. The field was basically underwater. 
And those, that's just what Soldier Field's meant to be. The Bears gr- grinded out a win. Justin Fields looked good? No. Trey Lance looked good? Not at all. Both of them were kind of out of their element, to say the least. But Justin Fields got the two touchdowns, so that's all that really ended up mattering because they won 19-10. to 10. But that was eight completions for 17, on 17 attempts. Trey Lance, 13 completions on 28 attempts. Again, it was a crazy rain day. Really, the Bears, though, I mean, <laughs> listen. The Chicago Bears put up just 200 yards of offense and managed to win a game 19-10. to 10. So, more power to them. A lot of it was because of turnovers, two fumbles for the for the San Francisco 49ers. If you know, you know. There's ESPN with some more ads. But the more concerning thing for the San Francisco rushing attack is that Elijah Mitchell is going to be out for two months with an injury. And, yeah, I mean, what can you say? It seems like he's plagued at this point with injuries. It seems like the whole 49ers backfield is consistently plagued with injuries. It looks like the 2022 campaign is off to no different of a start. Jeff Wilson Jr. is going to be a popular ad in waiver formats this weekend or this week. Debo Samuel expected to get more toting of the rock this season. I mean, Debo Samuel carried the ball eight times for 52 yards and a touchdown. He At this point, he's basically a, a running back. He only caught two passes for 14 yards. He did get eight targets, though, so a little concern there, but I think that more had to do with just how wet that, that seat field was and Trey Lance just was completely out of his element and the Bears were pressuring him in his face all night but Bears pulled out the win nothing much else to say here just simply because no one really looked great George Kittle was also oh my gosh ESPN I'm gonna lose it with these I'm just gonna mute my desktop audio so I'm gonna still hear all these ads pop up but you hopefully won't but the Bears got the job done nothing more needs to be said didn't look great for either teams I wouldn't be confident in either team going forward but hey Bears got the win Speaking of teams that either way you should not be confident about whatsoever is the Steelers and the Bengals went to overtime. The Bengals, oh man, the Bengals turned the ball over how many times? Five? Four times total? There's four interceptions from Joe Burrow. There's also a fumble loss from Joe Burrow. And yeah, so five turnovers at the hand of this franchise quarterback who was a darling of the NFL last season on their run to the Super Bowl. He looked pathetic. There's no other way to put it. Still had 338 yards, but yeah, that was 53 attempts. And he just didn't look good. He looked out of his element. The Steelers were putting pressure on him all night. It was it was just a mess. Jamar Chase is still that guy. I mean, I put this loss on the blame of Bengals coaching, to be completely honest, because Jamar Chase scored that touchdown, and they could have got the extra point earlier before they even had to go back and forth with the, with the Steelers a couple times in the last minute of regulation. Just a poor coach game, poor quarterback game. The Bengals look absolutely hungover from the Super Bowl. And I I told you at the beginning of the season, I did not predict the Bengals to be in the playoffs this season, and I don't know why you would expect them to be after seeing that performance. Because the Steelers didn't look great. Mr. Trubisky looked competent, but not great. 21 for 38, 194 yards and a touchdown. Their running game was nothing. Najee Harris didn't do crap. 10 rushes for 23 yards. And they just look like a lackluster offense. A lot like Deontay Johnson had like one catch for five yards until overtime. So a lot of their passing yards just came in in overtime. And when you turn over the Bengals that many times, and you only get that, if you turn over the Bengals that many times and you can only win by three in overtime, that's saying a lot. And the reason I'm even more low on the Steelers, I mean, obviously I predicted them to go four and 13 this year. So that's already in rough shape as 25% of their projected wins has been achieved. One of the biggest things in their whole game was T.J. Watt. But T.J. Watt, I mean, he, he, he had himself a day once again. Hit the QB. He had six solo t- tackles, a sack, three tackles for loss. He had an interception. 
And he was just he was up in Joe Burrow's face all day long, and he tore his pec. Uh, last I heard, he's getting like a second and third opinion, but I think at this point it's probably going to be the season for T.J. Watt, which is really the be- he, I mean, he's clearly the best player on the Steelers. Trubisky looked fine. Their rushing attack didn't look like anything. I'd be really concerned if I was a Steelers fan, and Bengals I'd be even more concerned if I were you. So really just a bad AFC North game any way you cut it for either fan base. We'll move on from that one. That was definitely the stinker of the weekend, or one of the stinkers. We still got to talk about the Colts-Texans. But we'll jump into the Eagles-Lions now because this was a perfect game for both franchises here because what do we know about the Eagles? They they seem like they always love to get up and then just blow leads, which, again, happened perfectly here. And the Lions refuse to get blown out. They love, they absolutely love just losing close games. Like, they're the Nebraska of the NFL. There's no other way to cut it. Overall, the Lions look pretty good, though. Jerry Goff had himself a decent day, 21 for 37, two touchdowns and a pick. DeAndre Swift had a monster day, including a 50-yard touchdown. 15 carries, 144 yards and a touchdown. Or the, He had a 50-yard rush. I can't remember if that was a touchdown or not. But Jamal Williams looks like the touchdown vulture that we all expect him to be. He got two touchdowns and short yardage as well. Amon Ross St. Brown came alive, especially at the end of the game. DJ Chark had a great game as well. TJ Hawkinson... You know, the, the, the Lions were able to spread the ball out, and they look they looked like they had a competent offense. But the problem was they just let the Eagles get up too big too fast. Eagles scored 24 points in the second quarter, and there was really no looking back at that point. Miles Sanders had a pretty surprising day, 13 carries for 96 yards and a touchdown. A.J. Brown, though, is the story of the Eagles because while Jalen Hurts didn't have the greatest day, he went 18 for 32 and no passing touchdowns. He did great on the on the the ground with 90 rushes for or 90 yards for a touchdown rushing. But A.J. Brown, 10 catches, 155 yards on 13 targets, including a 54-yard bomb. A.J. Brown is alive and well with the Eagles' absolutely dominant debut. Eagles have a lot to be excited about this year. I know a lot of people are high on them this season. But again, it just they just got up too early, too, too early, too much for the Lions to handle early on. Lions battled back as best as they could, but that second quarter proved to be the difference. Big win for the Eagles, disappointing home loss for the Lions, but I think both teams looked pretty impressive and, th- and have things to be excited about as a result. But I was very interested in seeing this AFC East matchup between the Dolphins and the Patriots because on Thursday night, as we talked about, the Bills were absolutely dominant. Josh Allen looks like an MVP contender. They were firing in all cylinders. Their defense looks fast. Their defense looks strong. But we wanted to see who's playing the second fiddle because I think a lot of people – don't have I mean I think everyone pretty much has the Jets' fourth place in the AFC East but Patriots Dolphins who's going to be that second tier team in the AFC East that might be able to ruffle some feathers well it was all Dolphins Dolphins got up 17-0 at half Patriots got one touchdown in the third quarter but the Dolphins ended up winning 20 to 7 and when we look at the play by some of these players overall Tua Tagovailoa had a great game absolutely great game 23 for 33 270 yards and a touchdown and the rushing attack was really non-existent, but Tyreek Hill looked great in his debut. Jalen Waddle looked great as well. So I think Miami's passing attack is looking very strong with these developing weapons as well as Tyreek Hill being brought in. Mac Jones, once again, just looked like a game manager. He's not going to do you anything to win a game, and we saw that here. He's only going to do things for you to not lose a game, and that means you're going to need great defensive play and great rushing attacks, which you did not see. Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson. Two people that are drafted in almost every league combined for 78 yards. Actually, no, sorry. Jacoby Myers got a seven-yard rush. They combined for 71 yards. 
a bit abysmal day for the Patriots. I know Bill Belichick cannot be happy about that. Jacoby Myers led the way with most of the most of the receptions, four catches for fifty five yards. Kendrick Bourne pulled off one catch for forty one yards. Ty Montgomery got in the mix. He got the touchdown catch for the lone touchdown for the Patriots. But this was just a, a brutal showing. Mac Jones fumbled. Nelson Aguilar fumble. This game never looked competitive, and that's just the thing about the Patriots that you're going to have to expect this season is Mac Jones will literally never win you a football game. He will only not lose you football games. You're going to need a great rushing attack and a great defense to win games. Neither happened on Sunday. Patriots are 0-1. I expect very few wins in their future. Moving on to another matchup in the AFC, and speaking of the AFC East with the Jets, pretty abysmal showing from them, 24-9 beating by the Ravens. I think a lot of people expected it to be maybe worse. But I think the big storyline that if you follow fantasy football and were up to date with teams, you would have known this going into the game. But Michael Carter is the guy at the, in the backfield for the Jets. Brees Hall did fine in terms of touches. He had uh, 12 total touches with the six carries and six catches. But Michael Carter is that guy. He had 17 touches, got way more yards, way more production, way more efficient. And Michael Carter clearly is looking like who the Jets are going to be trusting, which, again, if you followed the Jets training camp and Jets preseason, you would have known that Brees Hall is the clear number two in New York. But for the Ravens, Kenyon Drake, 11 rushes for 31 yards. People like myself thought Mike Davis might be that guy, but it looks like, once again, Mike Davis is going to disappoint for the second straight year. But we all expect J.K. Dobbins to be back soon. Lamar Jackson, he had an okay day. And, I mean, statistically it was a very strong day, but I think for me – going up against the Jets defense, 17 for 30 and three touchdowns with an interception. Didn't really run the ball effectively whatsoever. I just expected more from Lamar Jackson, and I also expected more from Rashad Bateman. Sure, he had a touchdown on a 55-yard catch, but other than that, just one target, or other than that, just one catch for four yards. I don't know. I just think Rashad Bateman is clearly, no matter what way you cut it, the best receiver they have on their team. Devin DuVernay is the most productive but I think Rashad Bateman's a better route runner, has better hands than even Mark Andrews, who all, who himself had five catches for 52 yards. But Rashad Bateman just needs to be let free. Let Rashad Bateman free because he is the most talented pass catcher in that offense. And he showed it with an explosive touchdown. So hopefully he gets a little bit of grace and gets a little bit of gets a little bit more opportunities going forward for the Ravens offense. But not much to say here. It was a pretty dominant win for the Ravens. After a kind of a slow start, 10-3 to at half, they pulled off 14 points in the third quarter, and it was pretty much over at that point. Pretty uh, pretty unenergizing win from the Ravens. Um, but another AFC matchup, just continue our way through the AFC, or a team in the AFC that was like the Jets in terms of a team that's not that great, but for some reason people are kind of hyping up the season. It was the Jaguars, and the Jaguars looked to me just like the Jaguars did last season. I mean, the Commanders, who I think will be one of the worst teams this year, beat them 28-22. to The game went back and forth a little bit in the fourth quarter, but to me it just felt like the Commanders had control of this game the entire time. Carson Wentz had four touchdowns to prop to him, but he had he had two interceptions, and he, he just looked like Carson Wentz at times. But he didn't have a strong game overall, largely because Terry McLaurin had some great acrobatic catches. Curtis Samuel, though, led the way with eight catches. Antonio Gibson, seven catches. Antonio Gibson out there looked like a true wide receiver, like he used to be. But I think the big story is rookie Jahan Dotson. Three catches, 40 yards, and two touchdowns for the rookie. So that's huge for him. But Antonio Gibson is truly their RB1 right now while Brian Robinson recovers. People were speculating maybe J.D. McKissick's going to take over. He only had three carries for eight yards, three catches for 20. Antonio Gibson led the way in both facets of the game. 
which I enjoy. I have him in fantasy, and also I just I feel like a lot of people have been very down on him, very hard on Antonio Gibson, and rightfully so. But I hope to see him get a little bit of resurgence here as a result. But then looking at Jacksonville, that's where a lot of people are scratching their heads because James Robinson is the RB1 in Jacksonville. Don't doubt yourself any other way. Travis Etienne is not that guy. Four, four carries for Travis Etienne, including two catches on four targets. So six total touches to James Robinson's 12. But when they got the ball, Travis Etienne was pretty efficient. He had 11.8 yards per carry. But it doesn't seem like Jacksonville's trusted him and tote the rock yet, which just seems odd based on his explosiveness. I know he's coming off an injury, but he's completely healed from that by now. James Robinson's also coming off an injury, but he's healed from that as well. You'd think with the chemistry between Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne that Travis Etienne would get more run in that backfield, but it doesn't seem to be the case and just shows college means little to nothing. It's all about who the NFL coaches are going to see do best for their team on the field. But catching the ball, I think Christian Kirk lived up to expectations for what they paid him when they brought him over. He had six catches for 117 yards, including a 49-yard catch. Zay Jones also six catches for 65 yards. So overall, this new look, Jaguars receiving core since they lost DJ Chark. And over the years, you know, they've lost Allen Robinson, Marvin Jones Jr. Or Marvin Jones Jr. is actually still there. I shouldn't have added him to that list. He actually got himself four catches. But still, overall, mostly a new-look offense for the Jacksonville Jaguars. They also brought in Evan Ingram. He got four catches for 28 yards. So overall, a pretty solid day passing the ball around for the Jacksonville offense. Trevor Lawrence, though, didn't look too much better than he did last season. 275 yards, touchdown, and an interception. Biggest story, though, just out of the Jaguars has to be that James Robinson is clearly the RB1, at least for right now. The biggest story out of the Commanders is that Carson Wentz still looks like Carson Wentz, but when you have... Playmakers like Terry McLaurin and Antonio Gibson and, and Curtis Samuel being as dynamic as he is, it was enough to be able to overpower a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars. Don't get your hopes up of them beating really any better teams than that. The Browns Panthers, I had high hopes. I had high hopes for that one being a good revenge game for Baker. I, I'm a Baker guy. I enjoy Baker a lot. Disappointing to see how bad of a display that was. Um, seeing as they're facing Jacoby Brissett seeing as they were at home, seeing as Baker wanted that revenge. Baker threw 16 times, or completed 16 passes on 27 attempts, including a touchdown and an interception. He was sacked four times. Jacoby Brissett had a pretty similar stat line, 18 for 34 and a touchdown, sacked once for nine yards. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt kind of had slow starts, but they ended up having a very, very productive day. 22 carries for 141 yards from Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, 11 carries for 46 yards and a touchdown, as well as a touchdown receiving on four catches for 24 yards for Hunt. So that double-headed monster is exactly what we expected them to be in Cleveland, and they're going to have to carry this team for the first 11 weeks of the season until we get to Sean Watson because Jacoby Brissett is going to be the same as Mac Jones, and yes, I would put them in the same exact category. They're never going to win a game for you, but they're not going to lose games for you necessarily, although I would say Jacoby Brissett has a strong chance of losing a game, but I think they're equally not capable of winning games for your team, especially with the Browns receiving core is just very uninspiring, and Amari Cooper I think is just going to have a a real grind of a year in that offense, but Donovan Peoples-Jones is leading the way, six catches for 60 yards on 11 targets. For the Panthers, Robbie Anderson, 102 yards and a touchdown for five on five catches, including a 75-yard long touchdown. But Baker Mayfield, I try to defend him, man. I try to defend him all the time. They obviously have two people that are injured right now that are still going to be breathing down his neck once he gets once they get healthy in Sam Darnold and Matt Corral. But Baker Mayfield threw an interception, 
and he fumbled the ball four times. He lost none of the fumbles, but still, four fumbles is just not acceptable for a, a quarterback who's always knocked for being injury or for being well injury prone for one, but also turnover prone. So I expected more out of this revenge game. It was kind of like even though it's twenty six twenty four, which in terms of the the added scores of this weekend is pretty high scoring, it just still wasn't that exciting of a game. I feel like red zone didn't even show it that much, even though it did. It was as high scoring as it was. But Cleveland got off to an early start, and even though the Panthers had that furious 17-point comeback in the fourth quarter and had a chance to win the game, it seemed like that that early lead of getting those 17 points in the second quarter was just too much for the Browns for the Panthers to overcome. Disappointing outcome for me, but it looks like the Browns might be able to pick up some wins while they're waiting for Deshaun Watson to come back, but I still don't expect a playoff season out of the Browns this year. But maybe the stinker of the day has to be the Colts-Texans because, wow, Texans were down 3-0 early, but then 20 points in the second and third quarter to get 20-3. But then the Colts had a furious fourth quarter comeback with 17 points to send the game to overtime at 20-20, which is what the game ended at. We have our first tie of the season. And I'm not I, I don't hate ties. I hate the I hate the playoff or overtime format for NFL, but ties aren't the worst thing. I mean, it's like if the teams can't put up any points in overtime they don't deserve a win like i feel like ties hurt a team almost more than losses which logically makes no sense and is absolutely statistically untrue but i just feel like when you have that one tie it just screws up your record so much and when it comes down to crunch time we saw it literally last year with the steelers the raiders um the chargers and that, that very decisive final game that a tie just screws so many things up for the playoff push it makes things a lot harder for the team that endured a tie and just really throw a wrench into things. So I kind of like it for that aspect that it really punishes the teams who get a tie. And neither team deserves a win if they can't score in, in overtime. But I still would like to see a little more exciting overtime format because that was an absolutely dreadful overtime format. And if you're trying to look for a way to keep the game entertaining, keep the game fun, the current overtime rules are not it. So I'm not anti-tie, but I'm anti-current overtime rules. Damian Pierce had a dud of a debut, 11 carries for 33 yards. He was out-touched by Rex Burkhead who's been in the league for 30 years at this point. But Damian Pierce, a lot of people thought he could be a sleeper, potentially for rookie of the year. We didn't see it from him. But one person who we know is not a sleeper is Jonathan Taylor, who got 31 carries, 161 yards, and a touchdown, including four catches for 14 yards. But yeah, Jonathan Taylor is absolutely just that dude. Once again, he's back. He's stronger than ever. Looking like he's going to have such a great season once again. Matt Ryan, to me, looked exactly the same as what Carson Wentz would produce. I guess 352 yards you could say might be more than what you'd expect from Wentz, but still a touchdown and an interception. Quarterback rating of 83.1 overall, QBR 48.2. Four fumbles and one lost fumble. Uh, Matt Ryan really just looked like Carson Wentz out there to me. Just could not control the ball. Really just an abysmal showing. Michael Pittman lived up to the hype at least. Nine receptions, 121 yards, and a touchdown. A lot of people were very high on him this season. He got 13 targets, so maybe rightfully so. Jonathan Taylor's still that guy. But the Texans, hey, a lot of people considered you one of the worst teams coming into this season. You picked up a tie, so you still don't have a loss in your in your loss column after week one. So at least you can sit, give yourself credit for that. Give yourself a pat on the back for that. But ultimately, that was just the stinker of the week. But an impressive outing was from the Giants against the Titans, who the Titans laid a stinker, but the Giants were very fun to watch. And while Daniel Jones still was very head-scratching at times, including a very stupid interception he threw Saquon Barkley's way in the end zone, which was just absolutely head-scratching. 
He still went 17 for 21 with two touchdowns, and that interception does scuff it a little bit. But his overall rating of 115.9 is 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 quite good. But the star of the show is absolutely Saquon Barkley because he carried the ball 18 times for 164 yards and a touchdown, as well as six catches for 30 yards. And it just looks like Saquon Barkley is truly back to what we saw him several years ago when he first entered the league and blew everyone's socks off. It feels so good to see him toting the rock in a successful manner once again because he's just one of the most fun players to watch the entire league when he's firing at all cylinders. And it looks like we got Saquon back. So I'm excited to see what the Giants can do with this going forward. This is a huge week one win. Brian Dable has nuts of steel. He needs a wheelbarrow for those nuts. In the words of some other college football players we had this weekend. But that was still just a very exciting finish to that game. Going for two points. Just trusting in your guys. And it worked to a T. Derrick Henry, 21 carries for 82 yards for the Titans. Ryan Tannehill looked pretty good, honestly. We didn't see much involvement from Traylon Burks. He had three catches for 55 yards, but most of that came on one single catch. Expected to see him targeted a lot more than someone like Kyle Phillips, who led the way with six receptions for 66 yards on nine targets. So doesn't look like Traylon Burks yet. I mean, it's his first game, and he's a rookie, so let's let's pump the brakes and try to have any hot takes on him. But we saw what A.J. Brown did, to be frank, with the Eagles, and they're missing them in, in Tennessee. I don't know. I just think there's no other way to cut it. That A.J. Brown, if he was on that team, Titans probably win that game because their receivers didn't look anything too explosive. Dontrell Hilliard got two touchdowns on three catches. But I thought overall this was just a massive dud from the Titans, and the Giants had the balls to go for that two-point conversion for the win, and it paid off for them. So bravo to the Giants. That was a very fun game. I'm very happy to see Saquon back performing at a high level. And that wraps it up for the noon games. So we have four afternoon games we're going to talk about next. But first, we're going to hear a quick word from our sponsor, Thrive Fantasy. So Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports platform that offers all the daily fantasy contests that you know and love, plus some awesome contests that you're not going to find anywhere else. With Thrive Fantasy, you build your lineup. You choose 10 out of 20 available player props to build that lineup. So instead of you know for your quarterback saying, Matt Ryan's going to have a fantasy quarterback, instead your quarterback for the fantasy lineup is going to be Matt Ryan over 250 yards, if you catch my drift. But each prop is assigned a fantasy value for both the over and the under based on how likely it is to occur. So, you know, you're betting you see maybe one way to minus 120, the other way minus 105. So based on that, they're going to be assigned a certain score. And if your lineup scores the most points in your pool, then you are the winner. Contests can either be head-to-head or in a pool. And speaking of pools, Thrive still has major massive pools that are going on. Week one, they had $250,000 of guaranteed prize money with 50000 going to first place. And these pools are still going to be going on throughout the season. So to join Thrive Fantasy, it's very similar to prize picks. So they're competitive prize picks, but I'd say it's more of a prize picks blended with like Barstool Sportsbook. You get a 100% deposit match up to $100, either with the link that's in the description or you can go anywhere, and I have it linked everywhere. You know, it's in the description of this video. It's on YouTube. It's on TikTok. Go on my bio. There's so many places you can find it. Use code BACO. That's code B-A-C-O. BACO is in backseat coach for a 100% deposit match up to $100. Again, that is BACO. Code BACO, B-A-C-O, to join and enter their awesome contests. Again, I like to consider it's like, well, I personally use FanDuel Sportsbook. It's like FanDuel Sportsbook and PrizePix had a baby, and that's Thrive Fantasy, and I absolutely love it. So go join today. But now we are going to get back to the NFL slate. We're going to go over the afternoon game, starting with the Vikings and the Packers. 
And the Vikings, well, okay. The Vikings look great, so we're not going to take anything away from them. Justin Jefferson, nine receptions, 184 yards, and two touchdowns. I mean, are you kidding me? Absolutely monster game from Jay Jettas. But the Packers look very uninspired. Aaron Rodgers does not look like he wants to be there. Their offensive line looked brutal. Rodgers was sacked four times for 33 yards, 33 yards of sacks. And he went 22 for 34, including just to open the game, Christian Watson. If you're a rookie and you want to trust Aaron Rodgers, you cannot drop a clear fly route touchdown that hits both your hands. Packers receivers are bad. They're bad. There's no other way to cut it. I'm very worried for the future of the season for the Packers and for Aaron Rodgers. I don't know if they make a move here and try to bring in someone. I don't know if... I don't, I don't know where they go here because their rushing attack looked great. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon as a two-headed monster looked strong. Aaron Jones touched the ball not that often. He only got eight touches, but when he, with those eight touches, he got close to 80 yards. And then A.J. Dillon, 10, 10 carries for 45 yards and a touchdown, as well as five catches for 46 yards. But, wow, Green Bay, that was, that was abysmal, and I'm very worried for your future. I don't want to overreact or anything. And the Vikings, credit to them for having such a great game. But I don't know where Aaron Rodgers goes from here. I, I, I really don't know who his weapons are going to be. He doesn't trust these guys, and he has no reason he should. He doesn't look like he's having fun there. His offensive line is bad, and they even got banked up a little more on Sunday. Vikings defense is one of the worst in the leagues, to be honest, and they looked very competent against this Packers team that's supposed to be explosive. So definitely head-scratching for the folks in Wisconsin there with that Vikings game against the Packers to open week one. And people in Wisconsin can say, oh, the Packers always lose week one. They got dominated by the Saints last season and ended up doing pretty all right. If that's what's going to make you sleep at night, more power to you. In a game I thought, you know, I, I guess I'll say I wished it was going to be more competitive. I, I kind of saw this coming is the Chiefs and the Cardinals. Patrick Mahomes absolutely dialed in 30, to, 30 completions on 39 attempts, 360 yards, five touchdowns. Everyone can just calm their jets about losing Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes all of a sudden just not being a great quarterback anymore. Um, one thing a lot of fantasy people will be hopeful about is that Isaiah Pacheco led the way with 12 carries for 62 yards and a touchdown. But I wouldn't put too much stock in that one. Um, this game was over for a long time. The Chiefs were up on the Cardinals for the majority of this game. At halftime, it was 25-7, to and then the Chiefs got 14 more points in the third quarter. So, that, so going into the fourth quarter, it was 37-7. to seven. So this game was over for a while. So I think that's why Isaiah Pacheco got most of the carries because Clyde Edwards-Alaire was still the more efficient running back, seven carries for 42 yards, and he also caught the ball three times for 32 yards and two touchdowns, including a 25-yard touchdown catch. So I, I would pump the brakes on the Isaiah Pacheco hype, chain, uh, hype train here because I think a lot of it was just circumstantial with the Chiefs pulling away as, as rapidly as they did. But Kyler Murray, he looks, he looked good. Yeah, okay, he looked good. 22 completions on 34 attempts, two touchdowns, but he just ultimately didn't do enough to win the game. Greg Dortch, seven receptions. He's, he's definitely one of the, the buzz names on the fantasy waiver pickups this week. Marquise Brown got a touchdown from his old college quarterback. James Conner looked pretty great running the ball um, in terms of being dynamic. Every time he had the ball in his hands, he looked strong. He got a touchdown running it as well as five catches. But really, there just wasn't enough production from the people that need to step up while DeAndre Hopkins is gone. I expected more out of Marquise Brown. A.J. Green and Zach Ertz and Andy Isabella have all been there for a long time and just did not perform well. Those three combined for five catches and 37 yards. So really just a lackluster showing from that Cardinals offense that's supposed to be so dynamic and strong. Because overall, 179 passing yards, 
uh, when you factor in all the sacks and then 103 yards rushing the ball. It was just not not a great day for the Cardinals offense. And again, most of that came in the fourth quarter when Chiefs kind of just threw in the towel and put in all their backups because it was such a dominant win. But Juju Smith-Schuster looks great for for the Chiefs. He He's fitting in quite well and getting the trust of Patrick Mahomes. The biggest story for me, though, other than the Isaiah Pacheco, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, is that I think a lot of people in the fantasy football world especially were ready to hand the torch off, and largely he was the torch was handed off this season from Travis Kelsey to Mark Andrews. There's people saying Mark Andrews is the number one tight end in the NFL going forward for fantasy purposes. But Travis Kelsey says, here's eight catches, 121 yards, and a touchdown for you. And Travis Kelsey looked dominant as ever. Patrick Mahomes' offense is going to be firing at all cylinders. I think they're going to be completely fine, and no one has anything to worry about now that Tyreek Hill is gone because Tyreek Hill is doing fine and doing his thing in Miami, and the Chiefs are doing fine and doing their thing in Arrowhead. So really just a dominant showing for the Chiefs. That AFC West sure is going to be fun to follow. And speaking of the AFC West, we had the Raiders and the Chargers, who were, where the Chargers won 24-19. to But again, similar to that game with uh, – can't even remember which game I was talking about earlier. Um, when I when I was mentioning this, but uh, maybe Commanders Jaguars. Anyways, whatever. It's beside the point. This is a game that was decided by five points, but to me, it just felt like the Chargers were in control this whole time. Justin Herbert absolutely delivered a stellar performance. Twenty six for thirty four, two hundred seventy nine yards and three touchdowns. He just looked so efficient and accurate, which a lot of people know he can be, and that's why a lot of big talking heads in the NFL consider him one of the best quarterbacks in the entire league. But he had a phenomenal game. Keenan Allen unfortunately got hurt, which which is going to be could be a huge blow for their passing attack. But really, he spread the ball around. I mean, look at this: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven different players were targeted in that Chargers receiving core. Yeah, they lost their number one uh, receiver in terms of four receptions, sixty six yards from Keenan Allen. But most of that came on a forty two yard catch, and they still have people like DeAndre Carter, Gerald Everett stepping up and filling his shoes. Um, notably, I didn't say Mike Williams there. He only had two catches for 10 yards on four targets, but it seems like Mike Williams has kind of always been a boomer bust guy throughout his career. But really, I, I just liked everything I saw from the Chargers' offense. Their rushing attack didn't look great, but I think their game plan was more to go in there and throw the ball anyways. Austin Eckler, 14 carries for 36 yards. People were saying in the offseason for the Raiders, Zamir White was going to eat into Josh Jacobs' carries. Brandon Bolden is there as well. The Raiders are going to become a true running back by committee, but Josh Jacobs carried the Rock 10 times for 57 yards. He by far led the way for their rushing attack. So it doesn't look like he's going anywhere anywhere anytime soon, but no touchdowns and only one catch for 16 yards for him, so not the most productive day. Derek Carr looked bad, though. Derek Carr just simply looked very bad. A lot of people consider Kirk Cousins and Derek Carr to be in the exact same realm of quarterback. And I get when you're trying to put quarterbacks in tiers or stack rank them. Those two should be near each other in the same ballpark. But Kirk, like, it's such a casual take to say Derek Carr is a better quarterback than Kirk Cousins. When you break down the numbers, when you just watch them with your eyes, Mike Zimmer was never the problem. Kirk Cousins is here. He absolutely dominated against the Packers, whereas Derek Carr looked honestly just awful two fumbles none of them lost but still fumbled the ball twice and threw the through three interceptions as well as five sacks for 29 yards he did not look and control the ball while Devonte adams had a massive game 10 receptions for 141 yards and a touchdown i feel like you could put a potato back at quarterback and Devonte adams would put up those kind of numbers darren waller was largely ineffective in that 31 yard catch 
And other than that, there's there's no production. Hunter Renfro, what people feared looks like it's happening so far that now Devontae Adams is in town. Hunter Renfro's production is going to go through the through the floor, which it did this weekend. And all in all, it was just not a great performance overall by the Las Vegas Raiders. Even though they ended up losing by five, I just felt like this game was not as close as the box score is telling. The entire time I was watching this game, to me, it felt like the Chargers were absolutely dominant. And it felt like the Raiders were just consistently playing catch-up and consistently shooting themselves in the foot. But speaking of teams, this brings me no joy. But speaking of teams that shot themselves in the foot, or the finger if you're the case of Dak Prescott, Buccaneers-Cowboys, we're not even going to go into this game too much. Cowboys looked absolutely terrible. Uh, Kellen Moore's stock is plummeting based on the way he called that game. A lot of head-scratching calls for sure. Um, It's funny because I feel like this Cowboys performance was exactly the opposite in every facet of what people expected. Because Trayvon Diggs actually looked decent. Yeah, He let up a touchdown to Mike Evans, but it was a one-handed diving touchdown catch. Like Many corners are going to let that up. I mean, look what Jalen Ramsey let up to Stephon Diggs. So Stephon Diggs' cousin, or brother, Trevon Diggs, looks pretty good, which people always you know, he over, say he's overrated. But really the biggest thing that I thought was funny is Ezekiel Elliott looked great to me. He ran the ball strong. He pass-blocked amazingly. Tony Pollard is not going to be that RB1 anytime soon in Dallas as long as Ezekiel Elliott stays healthy. But the best part about that Cowboys offense was Zeke. CeeDee Lamb was expected to break out, didn't do anything. Dak Prescott, make or break year, sucked, injured, out two months. Kellen Moore, the next hottest coaching prospect. Terrible calls all night. The Cowboys' defense honestly looked fine. Like The Buccaneers didn't move the ball that well. They got so many opportunities. Um, the Buccaneers only capitalized with one touchdown. They had uh, 12 points total on field goals. So the Cowboys' defense wasn't terrible, but that offense was all Zeke, nothing else. Pathetic game. Don't really know where the Cowboys go from here. They're 0-1 in, in the NFC East. Every single other team won with the, the Commanders picking up a win against the, you know, the Jaguars, which is whatever, with the, the Giants picking up a major win over Tennessee and the Eagles picking up a win on the road against Detroit. I don't know where the Cowboys go from here. Is it Cooper Rush time? Is it Ben Nucci time? Is it Jimmy Garoppolo time? Leonard Fournette looked good at least. 21 carries. Everyone said he came into the camp looking fat, and he's old now. He did fine. 21 carries, 127 yards. He's running as strong as ever. Tom Brady looked pretty good. Uh, Chris Godwin's hamstring injury, thankfully, doesn't sound like it's as bad as we first feared. I know a lot of people said maybe he's rushing back too fast after that ACL. And I'm no medical doctor, but I'm wondering if the hamstring was compensating for the ACL. Like if it was, you know, maybe somehow his body's trying to stabilize that knee more so his hamstring got pulled in the process or sprained in the process. I really don't know, but it sounds like he's better, going to be fine better than people expected on initial diagnosis. Mike Evans looks like Mike Evans getting 71 yards and a touchdown, and Julio Jones looks like he's going to be a welcome addition in that offense. Didn't didn't make all the plays that went his way, but it looked like Tom Brady gave him several deep ball opportunities, and it looks like the opportunity is going to be plenty for Julio Jones this season with the Buccaneers, but that wraps up the Sunday slate of football. We're just about kicking off right now. Oh, wow, the Seahawks just scored a touchdown already. Four for four, 71 yards and a touchdown. Will Disley, uh, one reception for 38 yards and a touchdown. Yikes, okay, well, I'm missing out on that game right now. It looks like the Bills or the Broncos and the Seahawks are off to a start. You know, I'm just going to pull up on YouTube TV just so I can have a second monitor this game going on. But I fully am expecting – I'm fully expecting the Seahawks to lose this game – by quite a lot. Um, so that would throw a wrench in my power rankings. So I was going to go over my power rankings. 
knowing that the Broncos and Seahawks are still yet to play. And I have the Seahawks spoiler alert at 32 in my power rankings. This is a, this is a little awkward right now. Um, but, yeah, anyways, so I want to talk about my power rankings overall for what I have for the NFL after week one. We're just going to quickly whip through them because I already talked about each team in depth. But here we go. And, again, remember the Broncos and Seahawks have not played at this point. So anything where they are ranked, just leave it as is. That's kind of just where they were preseason. One, Bills. Two, Chargers. Three, Chiefs. Four Buccaneers, five Ravens, six Vikings, seven Rams, eight Eagles, nine Dolphins, ten Broncos, again, asterisk by that, eleven Raiders, twelve Packers, thirteen Saints, fourteen Bengals, fifteen Bears, sixteen Colts, seventeen Giants, eighteen Browns, nineteen Commanders, twenty Steelers, twenty-one Forty-Niners, twenty-two Lions, twenty-three Cowboys, twenty-four Cardinals, 25 Patriots, 26 Titans, 27 Falcons, 28 Panthers, 29 Texans, 30 Jaguars, 31 Jets, and 32 Seahawks. And that wraps up my power rankings going into week two. Again, big asterisk by the Broncos and Seahawks. I basically just stuck where they were preseason in my power rankings and just moved everyone accordingly. So don't worry about that right now because when you're listening to this, the the game will have been over, and we'll see what happens. But right now, it is all Seahawks. They're wearing those lime greens, which I think are basically the black Air Force Ones of NFL uniforms. But Russell Wilson is trotting out to make his first drive, so it'll be real great to see how he does in this quote-unquote revenge game. But I really don't think there's any bad blood here. But we're going to talk our way through my top 25 for college football because that ruffled a lot of feathers on the TikTok realm. But first, we're going to hear from Chalkboard. So Chalkboard is basically a Discord for sports platforms like myself. And Chalkboard is a social platform overall for sports communities where each community has its own board with different channels, allowing me and anyone else that joins my community to chat and discuss in real-time sports news, scores, bets, and more. Chalkboard is the absolute best way to engage with your favorite sports creators and their community, and it is 100% free to join. The Chalkboard app is super cool and has a live scoreboard of games going on right this second, so if you were in there chatting with people and you would have saw right on your screen, Will Disley touchdown. And also sportsbook integration. So if you have, you know, Broncos minus seven tonight, it'll say, hey, your bet might be in jeopardy based on this first drive. And allow you to see trends as well. So how many over-unders have you gotten right this season? What's your overall up and down for units on the NFL or NBA? What have you. But first and foremost, what it's primarily used for is the best way to engage and discuss sports with peers. Chalkboard is free to download in the App Store, and I hope to see you all join my community if you're watching on YouTube, Spotify, whatever, just go to the description down below. You can also check the links in my bio on TikTok to join my chalkboard board. But I hope to see you over there so we can talk and chat about games like tonight and Russell Wilson's return to Seattle. But that's going to close it for NFL. This is my first, uh, obviously it's the first week of the NFL season, so it's my first kind of go at recapping uh, the NFL week. It took 50 minutes. Please give me feedback if you think I should you know, skip some games, kind of just like talk in depth about a couple games maybe just say the scores of each or do you appreciate the you know the couple minutes devoted to each team here um please let me know down below but we're going to jump into college football now and the way we're going to do this is i'm just going to go down through my top 25 so i'm going to give you my top 25 rankings and kind of talk about each team along the way then i'm going to tell you about what my current college football playoff current college football playoff rankings look like in terms of like who are my six who are my four teams in the playoff and two teams on the outside looking in. Then I'm going to tell you about Heisman trends, who I think is moving up and down, and then just talk about some other notable results that weren't covered. So, for example, Cyhawk wasn't a ranked matchup, and neither of those teams are in my top 25, but we're going to touch on the Cyhawk game at the end of this episode. 
So let's go ahead and get started. Let's just jump right in with my power rankings, which I was just going to say, like I should have had that up and ready. I should have been prepared, but I just got off work and I got on here. And sometimes, you know, you just got to go with the flow. But let's jump into it and we'll start, should we start at the top or the bottom? We'll start at the bottom. I feel like that's a fair way to start. So coming in at number, sorry, I had to make an adjustment there. Um, this is a mess of a podcast. I'm sorry. I'm going to be more prepared in the future, but I'm just trying to figure out what's best here. And by the way, the Broncos literally only are thrown at number 83. Beck, their tight end, he's the only guy Russell Wilson sees, I swear. We'll see if that holds true, but he just caught a one-handed pass, and that's literally the only guy on the field that Russell Wilson sees right now, I swear. But coming in at number 25, I have Wake Forest. And now Sam Hartman came back, which was great to see because he's obviously been injured with uh, – or not injured. He had that blood clot issue that was very confusing. We didn't really know what his status would be going forward this season. Uh, people – they basically just said he's out indefinitely going forward, and that's just a very head-scratching thing to know what that means for his production and what that means for him going forward just as a player. But they played Vanderbilt, who's a team that I think was surprising people in the first two weeks, but it's kind of looking like Hawaii might not be that impressive of a win since they got absolutely blown out by Michigan. And I'm not saying beating Hawaii is ever like that impressive of a win, but a team like Vanderbilt, who everyone's expecting to be near the bottom of the SEC and one of the worst teams in college football, when they put up a dominant win like that with Mike Wright at quarterback having such a dynamic game, you take notice of it. But Sam Hartman, his first game back, 18 for 27, 300 yards and four touchdowns. Wake Forest... 45 to 25 win in Nashville. Just a great bounce back game for Sam Hartman. I really think he can be put himself in the Heisman consideration after this, even though he did miss week one. But I, I was worried he was going to miss a lot more than that. So great first week for him. Enough to get Demon Deacons officially into my power rankings, which they are now at my 25th team. 24, though, we have Florida. And I don't know. They deserve, okay, they deserve to be in my top 25. Since they beat Utah week one, and Utah looked great week two as well. So Florida beating Utah was impressive, getting that interception. But I thought people incredibly overrated Florida. I had Florida jump up to 21 after their win. But the AP poll had Florida at 12 after beating Utah, which I just thought was absolutely crazy. Going from unranked, winning by some fluke, not a fluke interception, but it could have easily gone either way. Utah almost won that game if it wasn't for that last play, which you could say about a lot of things. But, again, I just felt like Florida was overrated, and we absolutely saw that this week when Kentucky pumped them. And Kentucky is a team that I think is very strong this season, and a lot of people are seem to not. Like, I feel like I'm always called out when I have Kentucky rated so high, but they absolutely pumped Florida. Kentucky missed two field goal kicks. They had a snap go over their head for safety, which then also gave the ball back, obviously, to Florida. So if it wasn't for those dumb mistakes by Kentucky, they would have won by a lot more. And you could say, well, if it wasn't for the interception, Florida could have won. No, that's different. Like, a snap over the head is not the same as you being a bad quarterback and throwing an interception. Anthony Richardson produced an all-time bad performance at quarterback with a QBR of under four. Yes, under four quarterback rating. And he's just looking like he's just absolutely exposed against SEC defenses. So Florida has dropped to 24 if they suffer one more loss, they'll be out of my top 25. And once they leave my top 25, I really don't expect Florida coming back into it this season. Number 23 of Florida State, the team from Tallahassee. Another strong week. They're not in the AP poll yet, but Florida State, um, they've had a strong first two weeks of the season. They played in week zero, and they played in week one. This week, they got to take the week off. But they just look good. And last week, I had them at... Uh, 
Last week I had them, what, at 22, and this week I had them at 23. A couple people shuffled around them, but basically I had them at 22 last week, and I wasn't going to move them down for not playing. Since I played week zero, they got that week off. But the first two weeks, Florida State's looked very strong this season, starting with a bang with the, that win over LSU in week two, or week one, their week two, but actually week one. It's confusing. Week zero is such a weird thing for college football. I don't know why they don't just call it week one. But Florida State is just going to stay there, right there in my rankings at 23. 22, Pittsburgh drops down to it. And Pittsburgh, so they lost by seven points to Tennessee at home. Tennessee was favored by eight. So, you know, it was a, well, actually, you know, at one point I saw it was by eight. Um, but by, by the time kickoff hit, I saw, I saw some at 5.5. So it really kind of jumped all around the board in terms of where Tennessee was favored to win this game. But regardless, they were favored to win against Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh just looked eerily similar situations to Texas in terms of they were playing an SEC team in Tennessee, and their starting quarterback, Keaton Slovis, gets hurt. Their backup quarterback comes in. He starts hobbling around and doesn't look very mobile. So just very, very similar situations to what we saw with Hudson Card and Quinn Ewers down in Texas. But ultimately not having a quarterback proved to be the difference maker here, even though they did have a comeback in the fourth quarter with 10 points to Tennessee's three. It wasn't enough as 34-27 to is the final score. I had Pittsburgh previously at number 11, so I dropped them down to 22. A team that enters my rankings this week, who again is not in the AP poll, like Florida State, is Minnesota. They've just delivered such as two very complete and strong opening weeks of the season. They play Western Illinois, who's one of the worst teams you can have on your schedule, but still a 62-10 to 10 win, um, and that's seven points coming in garbage time at the end of the game, so really 62-3 to 3 for most of the game. Uh, just very impressive performance by the Gophers coming off a 38-0 win against Jerry Kill in New Mexico State. Gophers have just looked very strong in the first two weeks. They can run the ball. They can throw the ball. Their defense looks absolutely incredible. Mo Ibrahim is back with a vengeance from the injury. And I think Minnesota, the Big Ten West is Minnesota's to lose. So I'm giving them love. I'm throwing them in my rankings at number 21. We'll see what happens when they play Michigan State in a couple weeks. That'll be their real litmus test. But speaking of litmus tests, Oregon had that early on in the season against Georgia, but I have now Oregon coming in at my number 20 team. And they're getting another test this week when BYU comes to town because BYU just proved themselves against Baylor in overtime. But now BYU's going to have to go on the road to face this Oregon team that was able to put up 70 just a week following their three-point performance dud against Georgia, being albeit that Georgia you know, is one of the best defensive teams, if not the best defensive team in the country. But Oregon worked their way back up from number 25 in my rankings to number 20 based on their offensive performance, that dominant win. But again, we'll see against BYU this week. This will tell us a lot if they're going to be capable of hanging in the top 25 and being a competitive team, or is Bo Nix and that offense under Dan Lanning just not going to be clicking in year one for Lanning as coach of Oregon. But a lot of people, including myself, had Oregon in the Pac-12 championship against Utah, who I have coming in at number 19. Another Pac-12 team who had a dud week one against an SEC team that they traveled to on the East Coast that found themselves playing a pretty easy opponent in week two and winning by or putting up 70 on the offensive boards. So Utah played another uh, – Utah played what? Was it Southern Utah? Anyways, Utah looked absolutely dominant, as they should, against a team like Southern Utah. And – they, it got them to move up because there's a lot of upsets this week, and if you were able to survive this week, you're moving up my rankings. So Utah comes in at 19. The team that did not win this week and therefore did not move up my rankings is the Baylor Bears, who lost in overtime to BYU. Um, they were expected to lose that game. BYU was favored by three. Um, but Baylor, 
tough loss. Could have won either way, but two. It was a game between two strong programs. So there's nothing to hang your head on if you're Baylor. But of course, in a week where teams like Texas, who's also in your conference, the Big Twelve, are losing their out of conference games, you would like to be able to pick up a differentiating win. But they didn't, so I dropped them down from 8th to 18th in my rankings. It might be a little harsh based on losing to another good team by so close, but hey, that's where we're putting them. But speaking of Texas, they're who I have coming in at 17. I think Texas is back, and I think they proved it with that game against Alabama. Quinn Ewers getting injured. Let me get comfy, sorry. Quinn Ewers getting injured is a huge blow for them going forward, and Hudson Card, I think, is, is probably going to be fine with just a rolled ankle. But, man, Texas fans are going to be saying what if for a long time after that ending, or after that first quarter, rather, because Quinn Ewers looked absolutely incredible. It was not a dirty hit. I'll stand by that. Alabama did not hit him with a dirty hit, but it was a late hit, and it was absolutely a penalty. But I wouldn't say there was any malintent there. But, unfortunately, sprained his, his shoulder, his AC joint, and he's going to be out for about two months. Definitely puts a blow, if not completely. Yeah, it completely kills his Heisman, Heisman campaign. But we'll see how Texas can rebound because they play, honestly, some challenging games going forward. They have UTSA, who, as we saw against Houston, is not an easy out. This could easily be a game that Texas, the Texas of old, if they're not back, if Texas, what we're used to seeing from Texas creeps back up. This is a classic dud game against UTSA. And then after that, they play Texas Tech, who just beat Houston, who's 2-0. So Texas, with Hudson Card, is going to have to shape up because they got tough games coming and then a Big 12 slate ahead. But right now, they're sticking in my top 25 at number 17. Coming in at number 16, I have Ole Miss. Not really much I want to say about here. They're basically just having opponents put in front of them, and they, they accomplish their tasks. And, I mean, Jackson Dart looks fine, but it, it, they played Central Arkansas, and they won 59-3. to We're not going to waste any more time on them um, because, it, you know, what else is there to say? Central Arkansas. But at number 15, I have a team that bounced back pretty strongly because NC State Week 1 barely escaped with the win over East Carolina. But this week, it showed that Devin Leary is Devin Leary. He had 16 completions for 238 yards and four touchdowns. And it was nice to see that NC State offense that looks so stagnant pick up, put up 55 points. It, yes, it was against Charleston Southern. But it was still nice to see NC State's offense that looked just so stagnant week one, able to put up points. Gives me a lot of confidence for Devin Leary going forward. It was 38-0 to at half. Just an absolutely dominant performance by the Wolfpack, which earns them my 15th slot. And then we already talked about Tennessee. I put them at 14. So I had, previously I didn't even have them ranked. I had them at 29th in my overall rankings because I rank all 131 teams because I'm a nerd. So Tennessee's moved up to 14th overall for me. Penn State is a team that is now ranked in the AP poll, but I've had them ranked my entire preseason. I, they started at 18, then they jumped to 15 in Week 2, and now in Week 3 I have them at 13. Big win against Purdue. They had another strong showing this weekend. And I'm glad to finally see them ranked. They're finally getting the credit they deserve. Sean Clifford's looking pretty good. I wouldn't say he's looking great, but he has that experience. He, he honestly looks very similar to me that to how Tanner Morgan's producing in Minnesota in terms of these are very, very experienced, experienced veteran guys that are looking very good. Not great. Very good. So it was enough for them to, to pick up the win and, and earn my 13th slot overall. But we'll, that Big Ten East I talked about on TikTok is 14-0. Every team is looking strong. I can't wait to see when those teams start playing each other to see how that all is going to pan out. But again, we already talked about this game earlier in BYU versus Baylor. BYU, for me, was not ranked last week. I had them at 28th, and they have now jumped up to 12th in my rankings after beating Baylor in overtime. And they will absolutely be a top 10, maybe even a top 5 team for me this week if they can beat Oregon. 
BYU has a very tough schedule going forward, which is great for them because when you're not in a conference, that's what you need. That's what Notre Dame does every year to try to get in the college football playoff, and it's you know scheduling Marshall. I ended up being the, the straw that broke the camel's back this year. But BYU has a tough schedule, which will help them a lot come college football playoff time. If they can manage to pull off these wins, they will absolutely be in the conversation for the CFP this season. Coming in at number 11 is a similar story of Ole Miss. We have Oklahoma at number 11. There's beating the people that are handed to them. Didn't look great against Kent State. They went 33-3, to final score. Dylan Gabriel had a strong game, though, and their defense looked great as well. They picked up a safety in the fourth quarter. But again, haven't played anyone really. They're just hovering kind of around the middle of the pack. They started for me week one at 14, week two, 12, this week 11. Number 10 is a team that has been rising for me. They started at number 26 in my week one, and now after week... After week one, I put them at 20, and now I have them at 10. Can you guess what team it is? Arkansas Razorbacks. So after beating the reigning college football playoff participant, Cincinnati Bearcats in week one, they followed that up with a strong opening to their SEC slate against South Carolina in week two, winning 44-30, to including just a crazy fourth quarter that there was a total of 37 points put up combined by the two teams there. But Arkansas is looking good. K.J. Jefferson is looking developed. He's looking multifaceted. South Carolina and Spencer Rattler don't look like they're going to be doing much. You're kind of crazy if you thought that South Carolina was going to be anything this year. But still, it's still an SEC win for Arkansas. They open up with an SEC 1-0 record after beating Cincinnati as well the week prior. That's a great resume so far, and that's earning of my top 10 slot at number 10. A team that doesn't have the greatest resume so far, but I think their quarterback may be putting up the greatest resume right now, Spencer Sanders in Oklahoma State, is who I have coming in at 8 and they've basically just been playing the teams that they are put in front of them. They played Central Michigan week one and blew a lead at the end, but that was mainly because their defense just let up because they put in their backups because they were up by so much. Week two, they played Arizona State and won 34-17. to It was a game that really was never out of control. Week one, or quarter one, Arizona State was up 3-0, but after a 17-point second quarter for Oklahoma State, pretty much put that game away. Enough for them to earn my eighth slot. And Spencer Sanders, nine touchdowns and 800 yards in two weeks for him this season, which is just absolutely insane numbers. So props to them. But I accidentally, I accidentally skipped number nine, Michigan State. Again, nothing to talk about here. 52-0 to win over Akron, but they haven't played anyone. But Michigan State's deserving of a top 10 slot based on how competent their, their whole defense has looked. And Jalen Berger, more power to him. He was a Wisconsin Badger, and he's transferred over to Michigan State, and he's looking amazing. Peyton Thorne is not really producing that well, in my opinion, which could come back to hurt them if they are playing these tougher teams, like they have Minnesota in two weeks. Two interceptions and no touchdowns from your QB is not going to cut it. But Jalen Berg is a great running back. Their defense is strong, and Mel Tucker has a very solid program going over there. And then, since we're mentioning coaches with strong programs, my number seven team is the Clemson Tigers. Uh, another kind of disappointing win, honestly. 35-12 to over Furman. DJ Ugalele looks fine, but nothing crazy. I don't know. Clemson's just, they haven't put, so the thing about Clemson is they haven't put the pieces all together so far this year. They haven't looked great in their first two weeks, but they haven't picked up a loss, which a lot of other teams have unfortunately been upset, lost a game. Texas A&M, we're looking at you. Notre Dame, we're looking at you. Whereas Clemson hasn't looked great, but they still have managed to not lose. So I don't know. They started for me at number eight, jumped up to number six, and now they're back down to number seven. I don't know what to expect out of Clemson. We'll have to wait and see when they play real competition. A team that has played real competition, though, is Kentucky. 
and they absolutely dominated Florida. We already talked about that game that pushed Florida down to number 24 overall. But Kentucky is my number six team this year as of now. They started for me at number 17, which people said was too high. Then they had a strong week one, and I put them at the 14, which people said was too high. And now I have them at number six, which, again, people are going to say is too high. But Kentucky, absolutely dominant over Florida in week one. 26-16 was the final score. Will Levis didn't light up the stat sheet by any stretch of the imagination. 13 for 24, 202 yards and a touchdown. But that Kentucky defense absolutely stifled absolutely stifled Anthony Richardson, who a lot of people thought could be, you know, a, frankly, he could be a Heisman candidate. A lot of people got very high on Anthony Richardson. And the talent is there, so you can see why. But still, Kentucky and that SEC defense, it was no contest. And my free preview on my one Google account just ran out of that game, so I'm going to have to get the my, my second monitor up with that Seahawks game once again. Okay, it's back in action. But we're going to continue here with my countdown on my top 25 because we're now down to the top five. And number five, I have USC. And I mentioned Spencer Sanders is putting together statistically like the best season so far for a quarterback. But I'd be remiss if I don't mention Caleb Williams, who's just absolutely lighting up the stat sheet Every which way. The Lincoln-Riley era is in full effect for USC. And the Trojans look back. Week one, they were firing on all cylinders against Rice. Week two, they go on the road in the Pac-12 to play Stanford. Favored to win by eight, ended up winning by double digits. 41-28 to was the final score. Caleb Williams, four touchdowns, throwing, and 341 yards in the air. Die on the ground for running for the running back for USC. Looked great as well. <clears throat> And while Caleb Williams is an unreal transfer and Lincoln Riley is an incredible hire, I think the most amazing production from USC is coming from their transfer from Pitt, Jordan Addison, who is, if it wasn't for Jackson Smith and Jigba, who's injured, so I might even be confident to say that Jordan Addison right now is the number one wide receiver in the nation. Seven receptions, 172 yards, and two touchdowns. That USC offense just frankly looks unstoppable. And after getting off to a quick 35-14 lead, it looks like they are ready for the Pac-12. And with Oregon and Utah slipping up week one, I think USC is the favorite to win the Pac-12 this season. And they're my number five team. A team uh, that I had at number two week one, number three week two, and now number four week three is Ohio State, who just uh, back-to-back weeks now has not been able to cover the spread. And now that Marshall has beaten Notre Dame, that kind of negates their week one win against Notre Dame in Columbus a little bit. won't say completely because Notre Dame had nothing to lose at the time. Marshall went to South Bend and beat Notre Dame basically the same amount of badness as Ohio State beat them in Columbus. So Ohio State's resume has gotten weaker. And yeah, I, I don't know. I just haven't seen it yet. I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigba's banged up. C.J. Stroud hasn't really knocked my socks off. Travion Henderson hasn't been as crazy as I thought he would be. Their defense has really looked good week one. But this week, I mean, against Arkansas State didn't look that great. I don't know. 10 carries for 87 yards against Arkansas State for Travion Henderson just, just makes me scratch my head. But in Jackson Smith and Jigba's absence, Marvin Harrison Jr. picked up the picked up the slack with seven catches for 184 yards and three touchdowns. So, I mean, Ohio State, I'm still very high on them. I still expect them to be in the college football playoff. I expect them to win the Big Ten championship. I just haven't seen anything super incredible yet. C.J. Stroud definitely looked better week two than he did week one, but still that, that Ohio State offense, even though they put up 45 points, still hasn't, I don't know, I'm just missing something from Ohio State. Just missing something. 
But my number three team is Alabama. Week one and week two, I had them at number one. But I dropped them to number three this week because, you know, they they barely beat Texas. And I think a lot of people would argue that if Quinn Ewers didn't get hurt, Texas wins that game. That was just a head-scratching one. Alabama didn't look disciplined. I've never seen Nick Saban so mad at a team because of their undisciplinedness. Like, Bama players were doing horns down. They were getting offsides penalty. Will Anderson Jr. looked like one of the most undisciplined characters I've ever seen. Three false starts that directly led to first downs for Texas. A 15-yard personal foul foul on Will Anderson Jr. that directly led to a first down for Texas. Will Anderson Jr. alone, is he's a game wrecker, but he alone almost cost Alabama that game. Quinn Ewers gets hurt. Hudson Card comes in, hobbles his leg. He, he's basically immobile. It was kind of pathetic to see, honestly, because he would just call hike and just stand there and not even move. But Alabama got the job done, and that was mainly due to Bryce Young's clutch run on a play that there may or may not have been holding. But still, Bryce Young got the job done, got the win. Alabama has a kicker who can just like consistently make 52 yarders, which is so unfair at the college level. But B. John Robinson. It was tough sledding for him against an SEC opponent, especially one like Alabama, but he still he still produced a solid game overall. But I'm moving Alabama down purely because I just did not think they looked that disciplined. I, I'm not knocking them at all for Texas being close because, like I said, I have Texas at number 17. I think they're a great team. I don't think that Alabama should have been favored by 20.5. I'm purely moving them down because they didn't look disciplined and they didn't look very competent. So if it was just like a close game they lost, they won a close one against Texas, that's not what I'm punishing them for. It's just what I saw. It's just, you know, the eye test. What I saw on the field, they just didn't look like a number one team to me right now. Do I expect them to still be an SEC champion contender and maybe even a winner? And in the college football playoff, absolutely, Alabama, I expect to be there. But it's just a week-by-week basis. Alabama is just like, you know, you're just getting punished on the report card a bit. You're going down to number three. You have every opportunity going forward with your tough SEC schedule to get back to number one. But for right now, you're at three. Number two, I have Michigan, who, you know, they're a number two team, and they're still deciding between Kay McNamara and J.J. Mac, JJ McCarthy. So I should talk about them more, but really they've had two, I don't know, they haven't had great opponents the first two weeks. They dominated Hawaii 56-10, to 10, but there's just not much to say there. They're getting the job done. It's just a matter of the teams that are around them are not impressing me, so Michigan's just by result moving up. But they're, they're, they've done enough to be my number two team. But again, the Big Ten East is 14-0 right now, and that'll all play itself out down the road when the odds start playing each other. So I'm not very worried about that right now. But my number one team is Georgia, pretty self-explanatory. After that week one domination of Oregon, which got even stronger week two when we saw Oregon capable of putting up 70 points when we saw that Georgia held them to three. Georgia didn't do as good as we thought they would against Samford. 33-0 to zero win, so another shutout. So Georgia's defense as a whole has let up three points this year, which is crazy. Stetson Bennett looked efficient. Kendall Milton looked fine. But I think we all expected more from Georgia in that game against Samford. But they're still my number one team. After week one, I just can't put any team above them. So there's my top 25. If you want to know the teams right on the outside looking in, Texas A&M I have a 26, 27 Washington State, Iowa State, Kansas State, Wisconsin, Texas Tech, Houston, Cincinnati round out down there. And there's teams like Washington, Oregon State, making up a... They're just those teams that if they pick up another win, they could easily find themselves in the top 25 if cards fall the right way. But that does it for my top 25. Let me know what you think down below. Who am I overrating? Who am I underrating? But before we get to... Yeah, before we get to the college football playoff, before we get to Heisman trends and other notable results, let's talk about prize picks real quick. The last ad read of the episode 
PrizePix is a daily fantasy sports platform that allows you to create entries on virtually any prop, from hoping there are no runs scored in the first inning of the Mets game to predicting Aaron Rodgers is going to throw for more than 200 yards, although with his receivers, I wouldn't make that bet, this season, and everything in between. PrizePix is legal in most U.S. states as well as Canada and is the best legal way to place player props in normally restricted markets like California, Florida, and Texas. It is just you versus the projections to see if you can score big. Today you can join PrizePix using promo code BACO, that's B-A-C-O, as in Baxi Coach, BACO, and you will receive a 100% deposit match up to $100. I know me and my friends use PrizePix literally every single day, and personally, we love playing the no-runs first inning. We love the NFL fantasy scores over-unders. It's just such a fun thing to like bet on fantasy. Like, it, Are they going to meet their projection or not for fantasy football? And I've just taken it to a whole new level now that like college football and NFL has started. So again... Go ahead and get that 100% deposit up to $100. Use code BACO, that's B as in boy, A-C-O, BACO, for 100% deposit match up to $100. Now, the college draw playoff. The TikToks I make on these are some of the most controversial things you'll ever see that get so much hate. But right now my... So the way I'm doing this is each week that I'm just going through the college draw playoff and saying here's my four teams in and the two teams looking on the outside in terms of number five and number six. And this is purely based on what I'm seeing on the field. Your preseason predictions have absolutely nothing to do with it, which is why a team like Michigan, who's played nobody, is not going to be in my top six because they just haven't shown me anything from a resume standpoint to put them in my top six. Teams like Ohio State haven't looked that impressive. Their resume is not great now that Notre Dame lost. It is a top 25 team. They're not in my top six, although they're, they're like number seven. So this is purely based on what I'm seeing on the field, what their resume is looking like, and what I've seen in the first two weeks, and has nothing to do with preseason expectations. So right now my number one team is Georgia. Pretty self-explanatory. That win against Oregon week one was so dominant, they're absolutely in my college football playoff right now. Number two is Arkansas. Being Cincinnati, who is a former college football playoff team week one, and then picking up an SEC win against South Carolina, as we talked about earlier, is absolutely deserving of a college football playoff slot if we're just looking at the first two weeks. The way you have to look at this is say, if we had a two-week football season, say COVID-22 happens right now, and they cancel the rest of the football season, we only have two weeks of play to look at and say who's our top four teams. That's why Arkansas is my number two. If you just look at these two weeks, they have to be number two with that resume. Number three of Kentucky. People always say I'm anti-SEC. Look, my top three teams for a college football playoff right now would be SEC teams. Kentucky had a very strong week one before week two, going on the road to Gainesville in a very hype environment with a lot of expectations on those Gators, and they just beat the brakes off them. It was a 10-point win, but really when you watch the game, it seemed like a lot more than that. Kentucky right now with that resume is my number three team. Number four, we're going out west to Utah and BYU. Big win this week in overtime against Baylor. And before that, they had a strong week one win that was absolutely dominant as well. And this week, they'll get to prove it again against Oregon. And they have various other games coming up like Arkansas and Notre Dame where they're going to be able to prove themselves for the rest of the year as well. But right now, BYU, based on resume, I'm putting at number four. And again, we'll get to prove it this week. So if you're like, oh, BYU is overrated. Well, we'll find out on, we'll find out on Saturday, okay? Number five, I have Tennessee. Yeah, Pittsburgh had some injuries to their to their quarterbacks in that game, but still Tennessee went on the road to Pittsburgh and picked up a road win after a week one game that they looked very clean and very strong in as well. So Tennessee I'm putting at number five. I can see some argument there, but the top four I think is pretty strong in terms of their resume, and I'm pretty confident in that. But right on the outside looking at Tennessee, and again, with that SEC, we're going to have all these teams in fighting each other, and we're going to find out who's really the cream of the crop here soon, so I wouldn't be too concerned about it. Number six then, I have Alabama. 
And Alabama, I know you can say Texas, they barely beat them. But I'm very high on Texas this year. I've said I think they're going to win the Big 12. I said I think Texas is back. So based on reciprocity, I would have to say Alabama being Texas, even though it was by one, is still a very strong win, which is exactly what I'm saying. I'm still putting them at number six. In week one, they had a dominant win against Utah State, so they're still definitely deserving of a playoff spot. And if you're mad that they're at number six and not in the college 12 playoff, remember, this is just right now through the first two weeks of the season. They'll get, they'll have their chance to make the college football playoff. Don't worry. They'll have these SEC matchups. They have tougher games coming up. Alabama will be able to prove it, and they're going to be in the college football playoff more likely than not. But right now, they're my number six team. If I just had to say, based on this two-week season, what does my CFP look like? It's Georgia, Arkansas, Kentucky, and BYU. Go fight with the wall. Another thing I talked about on TikTok is Heisman trends. So I want to give a shout-out to Will Rogers because for Mississippi State, he's having a great season right now. Um, let me just pull it from Sass real quick. Um, gosh, that's not the Will Rogers I was talking about. But so we'll we'll talk about him in a second once I pull this up. But really the, the players that I think are trending downwards after this week in college football is namely for sure. I mean, like, like let's just get this out of the way right now. Quinn Ewers, he's injured two months. He's not going to be in the Heisman contention anymore. He, he's kind of done. He, he's completely done. You know, he'll be back next season, so, you know, we can we can hope he does great then. I mean, he's got a March Manning to compete with then, but I still think Quinn Ewers, based on what we've seen, is going to get every opportunity in the world. But Will Rogers, like I mentioned, Mississippi State, they, they played Arizona, who Arizona looked strong week one against San Diego State. And Mississippi State had to travel all the way to play a late Pac-12 after dark game in Tucson. Four touchdowns, 313 yards for Will Rogers. Great performance. His stock's definitely rising. But Quinn Ewers' stock is going down. For sure, because of his injury. Will Anderson Jr. from that same game, the defender for Alabama, I'm also putting his stock down as well simply because he just looked undisciplined and didn't look like he had the mental capacity to back up his physical talent. And that's no knock against him in terms of his brains, but I'm talking about in terms of his discipline on the field, I didn't see it there. Four different penalties, all resulting in first downs to extend Texas drives that resulted in points. Will Anderson Jr. single-handedly cost Alabama single-handedly more than anyone on their team. Another player stock who I think is going down after week one is, oh man, I'm having like a massive brain fart right now. Um, after week one, oh yeah, how did I forget? Anthony Richardson, completely overhyped after week one. He had one game against Utah where he looked great, and even before that, he had all the expectations in the world coming into the season. People were having already having Heisman hopes on him before they even saw him play week one, but he looked awful week two. We already talked about it earlier, so I won't harp on it. But QB rating of four. Two or several interceptions, no touchdowns, couldn't complete a pass to save his life, did not know how to manage the game, just looked completely inept at the collegiate quarterback level. Anthony Richardson's Heisman campaign was a long, fruitful seven days long, but it is over now. It's, it's over. It's done. It's gone. No more Anthony Richardson in the Heisman conversation. But I mentioned Will Rogers as someone whose stock is going up. And I mentioned how I thought Will Anderson Jr. is going down, Anthony Richardson is going down, Quinn Ewers is done. In terms of stock going up, we have Will Rogers. Really going to all depend on Mississippi State if they can actually be a very strong team in the SEC. I don't really think they will be. And if they're not going to be a strong top 10, top 15 team, then he really has no shot at it. But players who I have going up is Spencer Sanders. Mentioned earlier, has nine touchdowns on 800 yards alone through the first two weeks of the season, which is banana stats. And then I also mentioned Caleb Williams has banana stats as well for USC. And with Jordan Addison, it looks like the moon is the limit for him in that offense. So his stock's going up as well. 
And then, again, I'm just brain farting on the third one. Oh, yeah, Sam Hartman returned from that blood clot issue. I don't think it's going to be big, too much of an issue that he's only missed one or he's already missed one week. But 18 for 27, 300 yards, four touchdowns. Sam Hartman in his debut after that very urgent medical condition, it seemed, that put, really put the halt in the brakes on his season and seemingly Wake Forest season. Came back, was firing on all cylinders, back like he never left because last year he finished the season so strong after that massive offensive campaign for Wake Forest and the Demon Deacons. But Sam Hartman's stock, he's going up for me. I don't think one week is going to be make or break for him, especially because it wasn't like he played and had a bad week. It was just he didn't play. Whereas I think if you play and have a bad week, that can hurt your Heisman campaign a lot more. But yeah, those are the stocks I see going up and stocks I see going down. Let me know down below in the comments who you think stock are going up and down as well. I really want to hear who your thoughts are. I was hoping for better weeks from Jackson Dart to try to get his name going up there, especially against a team like Central Arkansas. I was really expecting more of a performance from him. C.J. Stroud's stock, I would say, is going up after I thought it went down a bit week one. Um, we'll have to see when Jackson Smith and Jigba comes back, and Marvin Harrison Jr. seems to be a great talent as well. If C.J. Stroud can keep rising. Um, Will Levis did fine. Nothing that's going to ruin a Heisman campaign, but nothing that's going to help it. And, yeah, overall, I, those are kind of the notable ones. Stetson Bennett had a great week one, but week two he just did enough to win the game, 300 yards and a touchdown. Kendall Milton did fine as well. Bryce Young had kind of a – Staple Heisman moment, to be honest, with that comeback against Texas, but still his stats at the end of the day, 213 yards for a touchdown, weren't anything too crazy. But that's kind of how I see the Heisman field right now and who I see is kind of rising stock and, and lowering stock. But before we wrap up, uh, since I'm almost losing my voice and I feel like I've been completely rambling on this podcast, so if you absolutely hate this, I don't blame you because this is the least prepared I've been and just like kind of all over the place. And I truly apologize, but I'm very thankful for y'all listening. Let's talk about some other notable results. So we had Cyhawk, of course, in Iowa. Ooh, Broncos just forced a fumble, but the offense recovered it. The, the Seahawks are looking like they want to beat the Broncos, which is just blowing me away right now. But we have some other notable notable matchups. We'll start with Friday night. Louisville beat UCF. I thought Louisville looked awful week one, and I thought UCF had real hopes at an American Athletic Championship this season. Both of those things kind of flipped on their heads <laughs> this weekend with Louisville's uh, beatdown of UCF on Friday night. And we also had Washington State obviously beat Wisconsin. Made me very depressed, very sad. I just, just simply don't want to talk about it. App State beat Texas A&M. The whole world obviously knows about that. Marshall beat Notre Dame. Two crazy upsets. Um, Scott Frost and Nebraska lost to Georgia Southern. What the heck is going on with the Cornhuskers? Well, it's just terrible coaching is the only way you can put it, which is why Scott Frost has been fired. Some other matchups. Cyhawk, Iowa, Awful. Big Ten West, completely in the hands of Minnesota. Iowa State, good job getting the win, but Iowa, what is wrong with your team? Houston and Texas Tech battled in double overtime, and Houston ended up losing. Texas Tech getting a win, and they're, they're sniffing the rankings, getting close to it soon. Duke and Northwestern played in kind of a toilet bowl, and Duke was able to pick up a win, which is very impressive, honestly, for Duke. I didn't expect them to really get any wins this season, but 31-23 win for the Blue Devils. North Carolina picked up a win to go to 3-0, one of the only 3-0 teams in the entire country. Kansas State and Deuce Vaughn absolutely blew past Missouri, which was very promising to see over an SEC defense. So Kansas State, as I mentioned at the beginning of the season, is definitely something to keep on your radar, and they're very close to being ranked once again. And just looking through, is there any other notable games? Illinois versus Virginia. We'll throw that in a notable game. Illinois improves a 2-1 and one in dominant fashion against a Virginia team I thought would have been able to handle Illinois without much of a problem. But Illinois at home. Props to them. They looked very strong. They were dominant that entire game. 
And that looks like that is about it to mention. Just going to do one last lap around the box scores. No, looks like we got everything. Looks like we covered every major notable victory. I'd say Oregon State. I guess we want to mention one more. Oregon State or Fresno State is a strong win. Fresno State is a is a very good group of five win to get under your resume. The Bulldogs are a very competent team this season that are going to be competing in their own conference for a championship, but Oregon State able to get a big win on the road um, thanks to a 14-point come-from-behind win in the fourth quarter. But that, that, that just about does it, I think, for all the notable matchups there. So we will leave it there. Very loud noises are going on outside. And I will end the podcast here again. I apologize. That was just like all over the place and just tons of rambling the entire episode. But I got it all out. I think I'm going to have to figure out a better way to do it going forward. Recapping both the NFL weekend and the college football weekend in one episode is just crazy. It just took so long. But if you're down for long podcasts, I'm down for delivering them. This is just 90 minutes on the nose. I need to do better at keeping fluids by me so I can keep my throat from not going. And I also just need to be more structured and be more prepared. But kind of by the seat of my pants this week. Hope you still enjoyed it. Please leave me some feedback down below. And I will see you in the next episode. I'm sorry for all the noise in the background as well. i got to find a better way to do this as well. It's a learning process. It's episode 7, but we have a lot of episodes to go. Don't plan on ending this anytime soon. So i got to learn better ways to go about this. So please leave me feedback. And finally, you know what? We just got to end this. Seahawks are looking like they're going to beat the Broncos. Though, so I don't know what's going on anymore. This NFL week one's been absolutely crazy. And I'm logging off now. Peace.